0: Welcome to my hippie hood. From formative years on the road in South America to blueberry farm homesteading in Maine, Arwen Moonrise takes us on a journey of what makes her an inner hippie today. Like an urban organic farm, we meet the best of both worlds. Hello. Hi. Well, welcome to the podcast. And I'm really excited to hear more about your story and the diving in place that I like to start is if you could share the story of your name. <laughs> um,
1: so Arwen is from the Lord of the Rings. All of my siblings except for the, the the youngest one who was born when I was 18 and he's a half. We're all named from Tolkien books. Um, and so Arwen is the is like an elven princess. In the movies, it's Liv Tyler's character. Um, (laughs) But obviously it was a book written long before the movies came out. Um, And I think that book was kind of, it was like something that only kind of counterculture people and sci-fi people read before that. And then Moonrise is, um, I was born on top of a mountain and a full August moon. And so that's, that's where, that's where it comes from.
0: Well, just talk a little bit about what it was like to have more of an unusual name and how it has influenced you as a person who you are today.
1: Um, I mean, growing up, especially where I grew up, I, I was like one of the only kids with a, you know, quote unquote, weird name. And mm-hmm. I definitely got made fun of a lot and I would never like tell anyone what the M stood for. And, you know, mm-hmm. so now I mean, well, the thing is, is by the time I think I didn't, I like, obviously by the time I got to college, I didn't care at all. And then, and now it, it's sort of almost irritating that it's like popular. I think people just don't hear it sometimes too. Like if I go to a coffee shop, there's two things that happen. One, the barista is a Lord of the Rings fan and they nerd out about my name. <laughs> or two, I will be standing and waiting for my coffee and the, the, someone will be like, Carmen, a coffee for Carmen? And I'm like, who is this Carmen lady? Can she please get mm-hmm. her coffee? And then I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm Carmen. Because that, <laughs> they hear what they want to hear. They hear something that feels familiar to them.
0: take us back in time and tell us what made your childhood a hippie hood. What were some of the things that you would say? Um, yeah. Kind of put you in that, that genre. Um,
1: well, I mean, I think even just the way my parents met is like kind of a funny story. Just my mom was, she grew up in Cambridge and Massachusetts and, you know, had a very different life than I did. She was like, you know, I don't know. She grew up, she went to the like Buckingham school for girls and whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And she just kind of left it all after her mom died and drove to California. And I mean, basically simplified story, met my dad and was like, want to go to Mexico? And then like the first time that they ever even, she told me this recently, the first time they ever even like hooked up, they were already on their way to Mexico living in a van together. And so, and then they went to South America and lived there for 10 or 12 years. And my oldest brother was born in Costa Rica. My sister was born in Peru. I was born in Brazil in the, I was born in like the camper that we lived in. So, I mean, it's like, you know, we were, and then they just kind of drove back to the U S and bought, a blueberry farm in Maine and they were the first organic blueberry farmers in the state of the Maine like in state in the state of Maine like true back to the landers.
0: Such a theme of the going to California the van (laughs) just getting in a van with someone that you don't know (laughs) and like and setting on an adventure. Totally. And so when they moved when they bought the blueberry farm and moved back to the state's did their values and their hippie lifestyle continued or, or was that kind of a settling down that shifted things or talk a little bit about what happened once you were homesteading and. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean,
1: like I said, they were, they were like pretty big in the activism of making sure that Maine didn't become a place where just like all the blueberry fields were sprayed um, with, with pesticides. And so they, they were definitely kept to the ideals. We, pretty much only ate what we grew. I mean, I think, you know, we would go to the co-op for things like brown rice and lentils and stuff, but really my mom canned everything. And so in the winter it was just, you know, canned, whatever we grew in the summer, like not from a can, but you know what I mean? Truly canned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, that was their, that was their life. That was their job. So definitely kept with those ideals and after my parents got divorced, and when when I was maybe in like mm, sixth grade or something like that, my we moved off of the farm. Seventh grade, we moved off of the farm, and um, we still it, my my mom still owns it, but and like moved into town, and that was my first sort of just glimpse into a what what normal life was because we didn't have a TV. I mean, it's not that I never saw TV; I did. My dad had a friend down the road who sometimes we would go to his house. My dad loved star Trek.
0: We would go over to his house and watch star Trek.
1: <laughs> um, but just like the glimpse of, 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 of town life. And I mean, I, the town that I grew up is in, is a tiny town. I think there's only oh god, I don't even know, but you could drive, you can drive through the whole town in five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. so, but that just felt like big city life to me. And, uh. Mm-hmm. So just so different because you know we were shopping at the grocery store and, and doing all this stuff that we just had not done. And I mean, obviously, I had done it. My grand, like, we would go to my grandparents in the summer, and I'd been to. But it was just this totally diff, like, shift in my whole reality. Most friends weren't allowed to come to my house because people thought my parents were really weird. A lot of people didn't want their kids to hang out with me because I was a bad influence, even though I was probably the one doing the least bad things because I knew about all the bad things. I saw all the ba- all the quote unquote bad things, you know, and like didn't care about them or do them. I, um, I, I was super aware when I would go to other people's houses that like even the way my house was decorated was so different. And, you know, like the books that my parents had and I was super exposed. It just wasn't, but I, but I, and I was so aware of how different, Like my, it was at my friend's house than my house, you know, even we had all the decorations, the stuff on the walls, the rugs, the, the, um, the pillows, everything was different because it, it, it was like things my parents had collected in South America and like brought back with them or things that were handmade and, you know, same with like my clothes and stuff like that. You know, it was just, I was definitely the weird kid. I got made fun of a lot. I always wanted to be super normal then Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Now I'm I'm, Mm -hmm. like so grateful now, even God, things that I would never dream of now. Like my friends got their clothes from the gap. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, it just seemed uh, we got our clothes from this traveling bus. It was like basically a Goodwill on wheels called the recycle bus. And it would drive around and it would stop at the farm and it was just this big pile. I'm a Virgo. And now when I think about it, it actually gives me like Virgo nightmares thinking about like this messy, horrible
0: pile of old things. Um, Yeah. But I love that. I love that though. It's like this store coming to you. If you did live somewhere rural, that sounds awesome it's like uh, right. I guess a, tra- now, a traveling salesperson. Yes, I, true yeah,
1: now yeah. it kind of sounds like cool I would love for like a vintage bu- b- recycle bus to come to me it was I was so hyper aware of like things like a box of cereal super hyper aware mm-hmm. of that you know because like the only thing we ever had was granola that my mom made or yeah you know candy just things that that I just did not have exposure to, or access
0: to, or basically not allowed. So talk about how that influenced, you know, who you are today, but how you kind of transitioned from feeling different and kind of uncomfortable to embracing it and being like, well, now it's actually not, you know, it's something I appreciate. What was that journey like? Um, Well, I think that
1: there's like a resiliency that's built from that kind of experience. Right. And so even when there's a, when there's a lot of resistance to it it, in the moment, um, the resilience is still being built in the, in the, you know, in the background. And so I, I definitely feel like now I am just not a person that I, I just don't, I don't have that at all now. Like I, I don't care what, what it what appearance is externally or I mean I have my own deal my own style my own way that I do things and the things that I like and it it's you know and I you can take it or leave it you know and I but I think that that resiliency Mm -hmm. is built but I think I don't know that I was really super comfortable ever until I left that small town and went to college Mm -hmm. and and realized that Oh wow, there's a bunch of other people who grew up like me and who have weird parents or who were like weird like had different experiences in other ways, you know. However, however that looks, not necessarily having like a hippie childhood, but just different experiences than what was what I saw as the norm. And I mean, it was the same my my mom came out when I was in high school. Um and, you know, told me that she was going to be with a woman. And that was also super hard for me because I, again, small town, very Christian, very like, you mm-hmm. know. and But again, when I got to college, I was like, everyone's mom is a lesbian. <laughs> none, <laughs> none of this shit matters that I've been so so in resistance to for so long. And so it really, it like changed mm-hmm. my relationship with my mom. It It, it just, it made... And and I just realized, like, all of this stuff that I've been having all these feelings about all this time, it just didn't matter anymore. And it was such – it was mm-hmm. – there was so much liberation in that for me of just, like, oh, this is great. It cycles back around and then it's, like, how you grew up is the cool thing, you know? And so yeah. now yeah. – now- now people are like, "Oh my gosh, your childhood sounds so cool and your parents sound so cool and your name is so cool." You know? And so Yeah. Yeah. But but before that happened, I already had had like gotten the liberation that I needed from having feelings about it. And so so to me when someone says that it's funny,
0: were there any other families that kind of you could you could have shared that similarity with or was it just Yes.
1: <clears throat> um there was a a, a, like a sort of community where all my parents' friends lived. They all, they, you know, they had kids and kids our age and, but they didn't go to school with me. They all went to a different school mm-hmm. and um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So I definitely had, you know, hippie friends and on the farm because, because of the nature of blueberries and, you know, just my parents knew so many people from all of their travels There were people living on our farm in the summer when it was blueberry season, all sorts of people and they had kids. And so it wasn't like I just was alone, you know, because we had teepees and stuff on the land and people were living in campers and And obviously people who, who had a similar way of life because they were doing this sort of like migrant thing or traveler thing. Yeah.
0: So even though there were a couple, your, the majority of the experience was feeling that until you got to college, it was hard, kind of hard to relate to other people having a shared experience.
1: Yeah. And in high school, I just did my best to like. Fit in and it, it was actually really mm. disastrous because I'm I don't <laughs> or huh? I didn't you know and so it just ended up with me just never feeling com- yeah I mean I think that once once I sort of found my own found my my footing or or like maybe a better way to say it is like found a level of comfortability in who I, who I am, then it was easy for just the normal progression of like growth through twenties through thirties into forties to happen in this, in this way that, you know, not to say that it wasn't, it wasn't without challenge, obviously, because, you know, human being, it's just, just that just being that is, is with all the, ch- all the challenges. But, mm-hmm. um, It no Mm -hmm. longer was about identity or anything. It was just about like, who do I want to be in the world? How do I want to do this? And, and all of the, all of the ideals that I was, that I feel like I was raised with are definitely still a huge part of my life. I kind of joke sometimes and say that I'm like a hippie on the inside, because, um, I don't necessarily look like a hippie at all. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like, but I I don't think that I do, you know, at all. I, I care about, you know, like where things come from that I buy. Like I don't wear anything synthetic. I, I only shop from, you know, local when I can, you know, if I can find it organic cotton, you know, just versus, you know, conventional, I will do my due diligence to like put my, my money where my, my values are. And, you know, same with like the food I eat. It's it, for me, it's all about regenerative farming and making sure that everything that I'm getting is like from, from like plant to, to, to the soil, to the picking, to, to like who picks it and how they're treated and all all of that stuff. And I think that that comes from Like one, knowing what that work actually is and two, valuing the, the, like what it takes to, to create something, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's like this like deep seated, uh, foundation in that for me that, that creates so that I, because I don't know another way, even though I know it exists, right? Like I Mm -hmm. see it, I live in the city. I'm like, I drive a car, I do all the things, but But because that's so rooted in who I am, it's doing it the best way. And the best way for everything and every being involved is the most important thing to me.
0: Well, that leads me to the question of, do you think that your parents, when they were setting out um, to start this farm and the ideals that they had, that they would consider themselves successful in, in doing that? And in living the, the ideals that were different than other people. Yeah. I mean, while they were doing it, they did it well,
1: for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, they were the first organic blueberry farmers in Maine. And, you know, Maine was wanting to pass this law to spray all the fields. And they, like, had people come out and stand in the fields on the day that they were supposed to spray so that they couldn't mm-hmm. do it. And
0: I, I don't think it's super easy to, to live that life and to do it that way yeah I think it's a really interesting thing to think about the follow through since a lot of the alternative lifestyles were trying something new and you know whenever we try anything new it sometimes lasts and often doesn't and so to think of how it, that sustained and um, yeah and the shift from having the no- more of a nomadic lifestyle to settling down or you know for lack of a better word mm-hmm. So you live in San Francisco and can you talk about the kind of work that you do and you mentioned a few things about your lifestyle and the values that are there but if there's anything else you want to share that you feel was influenced from your childhood or not like things that you're that you're doing differently. <laughs> well, I I'm a yoga
1: teacher. I've been a yoga teacher for 23 years. I'm an embroidery artist which definitely um comes I mean I my mom did it. I did, you know, when you grow up on a farm, you just learn how to do things because when you live on a farm, the thing you never want to do is say I'm bored because Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is something to do, you know? So like I would hide myself away and read or hide myself away and do art things. And so, um, and that's really cool. It's cool that I've been able to do it in the way that I do it and kind of make a business out of it. Um, And then a few years ago I transitioned into Um, becoming a tattoo artist which um, has been a really amazing journey and um, definitely feels like like my the the work I was meant to do
0: is there anything that you feel like you've rejected or you know want (laughs) want no part of
1: (laughs) (laughs) um god that's a good question Um, You know, what's really funny is that I've noticed something about myself. And I I mean, I don't know. I I can only assume that this is why, but I'm kind of a prude. Like, I am not Mm. a naked person. But and I think it's because (laughs) everyone was naked all the time when I was growing up. And I've talked to other people who grew up with hippie parents. But like, I'm the person at the hot springs wearing bottoms like I'll go topless uh-huh. but like I'm always the person with the bottoms or like you know like I it's it's just I I think that there is a level of of like modesty that comes from not having that experience or like not yeah of having it be so like it's everywhere kind of a deal
0: <laughs> yeah or like you you know you've got to you know what that is, you experienced it versus someone who didn't and it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't have to wear a bathing suit. And it's like this liberating thing. Yeah. And um, but that's a great example of I mean it doesn't of, like yeah. make me uncomfortable.
1: Like I can be yeah. you know, like I go to spirit weavers and you know, everybody's naked, you know, whatever. I I love it. It's just I and and I'm super comfortable. Not being naked, you know what I mean. So, like, I also right. don't feel like right. I'm weird because I don't want to be naked. It's just like <laughs> I love, we're comfortable with how I like it and how ev- and how anybody else likes it. You
0: know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And but like, I just got this great bathing suit. I really want to yes. wear it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Um.
1: Um. Yeah. There's that. That would probably be one of the biggest things that I'm kind of, and I am. I am sort
0: of weary of like pseudo spiritual. No, I think that also kind of sounds like it's an alignment with what you were saying about the nudity for people who grew up with it versus people who are who didn't. And it was very constricting. And then they have this as an option that they discovered in their adult life. And it's it is different. Yeah. My next question is, you know, as a child, we all have highs and lows on uh, like every day and, you know, different periods of our childhood. But I'm wondering if you think of like, what would be the high of your childhood? And that could be like, a you know, maybe it's a memory that would describe the things that you liked best. Um, and then what would be the low point of like, the thing that was always the hardest? And that also could be a memory or it could just be a more general description.
1: When I think about the high of my childhood, it's really like a smell. That sounds weird. It's like the smell Mm -hmm. of dirt and blueberries and, you know, winter mint Mm. and um, apples from our orchard. And like it's it's like smells, those smells, the smell of the cornfield, the smell of Mm -hmm. the specific smell. God, this is this is actually kind of gross, but the specific smell of a potato bug which my mom used to have mm. us pick off of the potato plants like you know we would get like a penny a bug or something like that mm. you know and um mm. and that it was this really gross smell but it's like those smells are are kind of what make up what make up like the highlight of my of who I am even it's just like yeah it's a it's like a mm-hmm. montage of smells <laughs> mm.
0: and smell is so, um, primal and links directly back to some of our earliest memories. Yeah. Sweetgrass too I mean, the yeah. smell of
1: sweetgrass. I don't, yeah. It's just like,
0: Oh, I love sweetgrass. Um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And then I would say the low, I mean, I think we kind of already talked about that just like never feeling comfortable. I think that that was, um, yeah, definitely caused yeah. a lot of, um, sadness and difficulty in my life um Mm. you know when I was young and now of course I see it now I'm like I'm so grateful for that because
0: Mm
1: -hmm. one of the things that I'm the most grateful for because of that is that I am very comfortable (laughs) being uncomfortable Mm. and there's a again there's a resiliency in that there's like a uh, a way in which i i'm like I have the skills to do this, I can be uncomfortable mm-hmm.
0: yeah um wow that's an amazing life skill to have what would you consider today's equivalent of a hippie to be
1: i don't I actually don't really think that there is an equivalent of that today because. I feel like so a lot of a lot of the values are very greenwashed in our culture right now. Like, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing, which is like sort of, you know, fake, fake hippie stuff like, you know, know, Whole Foods or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also think that a lot of the ways in which people or, or a lot of the reasons why people shifted away from this sort of you know normal way that the culture was moving i feel like it's happening in urban situations now and in i feel like it's infiltrating in in a way that actually feels more sustainable to me than than like we're just going to build a commune and everyone's going to do the thing which just doesn't it like you know historically doesn't usually work out that great and I, so i think that there's a way in which the way that it's happening now which is you know, people getting plots of land and making an organic farm in the middle of an urban setting or like taking the top of a building. And so I think, I think the values are infiltrating into the sort of quote unquote normal life right now. And I think that's really cool on top. And the sort of like side note to that is what comes with that is a lot of like sort of bullshit greenwashing. But, you know, I think it's, I just, but I also, like, I personally have some really good friends who are doing the homestead thing and doing it in a really amazing way, in a way that's, like, super inspiring to me. And, you know, it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it, it's, it's accessible in a way, too, I think, now, that which, in a way where it was harder when our parents mm-hmm. were doing it, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, because yeah. you can you can like have a farm and live off the grid and but still like you know have, be connected to yeah. the outside world in a way that's really different. Um, but so I don't know that there's really a, a version of that right now. I think it's morphing into all the versions that that are the most helpful for, you know, the way that our our world is is needing and happening and you know mm-hmm. i even yeah. to the even to the point of like you know like really republican like hardcore farmers who are switching to regenerative farming because it works better and it's better for the planet mm-hmm. but but you know it's like they make more money and they it, it all works better and so i think that there's a way in which a lot of the ideals are are infiltrating into the the world in a bigger way now and so I just don't see it the same as you know like what our parents were doing as a rejection of culture it's like how can we bring it in and I think it's cool obviously there's there it's problematic everything is problematic you know being a human is problematic
0: First, I just want to thank you for sharing your your perspectives and your um, the vulnerability of your childhood with us. And then I just want to ask you, you spoke about what was the low point or the most challenging point for you. And I'm wondering if they had their ideals and their vision of how they wanted to bring up their children and create their lifestyle, but knew that there would be a feeling of alienation and otherness. What would you tell them now so that they might change something in order to not give up their values, but to for their for you as their child to feel more included or um, not as, you know, different?
1: I at the time would have wanted them to be more open to like making it easier for me to sort of blend in or whatever. But at the same time, I'm so glad that they didn't, you know. Because and so that's that's kind mm-hmm. of like a it's like a, um, a catch twenty two. Is that what it's called? Where it's like I I uh-huh. would have wanted yeah. that then, but I'm really glad now that I that I had that it was hard in the way that it was hard because I am who I am because of it. And so I guess my answer, my real answer is Mm -hmm. I don't, I think every single person is doing the best they can when they're doing it. And so there is no other way.
0: That's such a, it's such a great point. And it's really, you know, a hindsight, it's hard to know you know how things would have turned out if blah blah, you know, if such and such were different or if there was more feeling of inclusion. But I have to say that there definitely is a trend in our generation of these resilient adults who are finding the middle path that, like, if they had an extreme childhood, are finding a way to incorporate the good things, but maybe not be as extreme. I really appreciate that, you know, that perspective of. Mm, Yeah, just embracing it as it was because there is no purpose. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You know,
1: my dad always used to say that what it is is what it is.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to the My Hippie Hood podcast. If you yourself had a hippie hood and would call yourself a 70s baby, early 80s child, please get in touch. We'd love to hear your story. You can follow us on Instagram at myhippiehood.